Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. I am your host, Neil Crawford, and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. For those of you who have been following this space, you know that the Inside Scoop is a podcast dedicated to helping parents understand the soccer pathways in other parts of the world. And I tell you, we got a really exciting show lined up for you guys today. We're going to be going overseas to uh, Germany. And we have a special guest who understands both sides of the pond. Now, with that being said, let me tell you a little bit about inter inter Anytime Soccer Training first. Uh, and then we'll jump right into the show. So this summer, we're launching a website called Anytime Soccer Training. It's gonna have over 1,000 follow along videos covering all the major areas of skill development. So as a parent, when I looked to help my child and I didn't have much experience in soccer, I wanted a curriculum, I wanted a format, I just wanted someone to tell me exactly what to do. But I needed it in a, in a video format that removed me from the equation and it wasn't too difficult for my children, and it grew as they grew. I didn't find anything like that, so uh, as a result, we created Anytime Soccer tra tra Training. I worked with academy and grassroots coaches in the States and around the world to get feedback to create a product uh, specifically for you. Our mission is to, to help your child reach their full potential in soccer, by providing world-class training content, but also empowering parents with actionable information. So if you haven't checked out the earlier podcast, I encourage you to do so, because we've already del delved into sort of our training, my training philosophy and, and areas that I think you should focus on as a parent trainer. We've talked about the first steps to uh, training your child. And we got another show lined up in the future that I'm really excited about um, about how to motivate your child and the do's and don'ts there. So with no further ado, this is the Inside Scoop. Our website is www.anytime-soccer.com. And now we're going to get started with the show. All right. So I said we we're going to be in journey, Germany. And I have a special guest here who is a parent um, and also familiar and from, has American roots in Texas. So he's familiar with both the U.S. side of things as well as Germany. His name is Tony Rocha, and I am so happy to have him on the show. And he's checking in from Germany. I'm Tony. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of your the city that you actually live in because I'm an old country boy from South Carolina, and I will totally butcher it. So please introduce your city, introduce yourself, tell us about your family, tell us about your own personal soccer journey, and then let's jump into the show to learn about soccer in your city. Okay, great. Um, well, first, thanks for having me on, Neil. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, soccer here in Germany and, and the city that uh, we live in. Uh, so I live in Kaiserslautern, Germany. Um, it's a city of about 100,000 people. It's about 30 minutes from the French border and about an hour from Frankfurt, Germany. Um, I'm military. Uh, we've been in Germany for six years. Uh, we actually lived in Bavaria for two years and have lived here in Kaiserslautern for four years. Um, 
I have two boys. Uh, my oldest right now is 15 and my youngest is 11. Uh, we got here six years ago and my oldest was nine um, and my youngest was six. Uh, so they've been in the German system uh, for six years now. So we we really only know one system. Uh, so when we left the States, uh, you know, we were just really getting started in the soccer and, and more into the rec soccer. Um, and so we, we've been here ever since. Okay, so that's great. So thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. And I know um, I talk a lot to military families and you obviously are juggling school, you're juggling um, studies, but then you're gonna be juggling teammates as well. So that's gotta be interesting. And I'd love to get your perspective. And you probably have an interesting perspective on coaches, clubs as well, that many parents who stay in one place probably don't, but we'll talk about that as well. Okay. So the way I like to tee the show up is, and the listeners who've been listening um, know how we do it. I like to give a basic overview of U.S. soccer, at least how I perceive it to be in Cary, North Carolina. Okay. And then you and I are just going to balance and talk, and we're going to juxtapose the two systems. Okay. And put your tour guide hat on, and, and you're going to pretend that your 11-year-old is moving to Cary, North Carolina, and this is, and you want to get him involved in soccer, and this is what I'm going to tell you, okay? Okay. So the first thing I'm going to say is get your pocketbook out, get your wallet out. <laughs> you're going to pay. Now, how much you're going to pay is going to depend on how competitive you want your child is and, and your own family goals, but you're going to pay, all right? Because we, we have an overarching pay-to-play system because our professional leagues are closed. There's no promotion and relegation. So therefore, there's no incentive for clubs to create academy-like uh, systems in the way that you're probably familiar with in London. I mean, in, in Europe, now in Germany. So let's, so that, let's get there. The second thing I'm going to say is, well, there's about five major entry points, right? There is recreational. Mommy and daddy are the coach. You just want to have a good time. It's not very serious. That's the league. And you probably familiar with the kids wear the shin guards outside of the socks and everybody has a snack. Okay. One day a week of practice, games, you come as you go. It's not a big deal. Then, and that, that recreational, you can play recreational that from you five, U6, all the way up to U17. And those recreational programs are put on by the municipality, maybe. They're also, uh, well, the municipalities, so your local governments, they're franchises who offer these recreational programs. And then the clubs, uh, even the academy level clubs also offer a recreational program. Why do they do that? Because it's pay to play and that's a, uh, that's a revenue opportunity for them. And the season is, you know, eight games, 10 games, two seasons a year, just normal, what we would have remembered as our own childhood of soccer. Then you have, and I'm going to skip through this because many of the listeners who follow this have heard this many times, but I do want to tee it up. Then you have challenge, which is in between. So it's a little bit of serious and a little bit of wreck. You could have a licensed coach coaching one team a day, or sorry, one day a week with a parent volunteer. They could enter into tournaments where they play more competitive teams. The program is a little bit longer than rec, 
but it, but at the same time, the children have zero interest in becoming quote unquote professional soccer players, and the parents don't want to commit to the four to five days a week of being on a soccer program, uh, soccer pitch. So I actually think challenge is a very good entry point, as a matter of fact. Then um, there's the travel and academy that most of us are familiar with. That's your three days a week of practice, games on the weekend, tournaments, your select teams, your elite teams, all the other superlatives you're used to hearing. There's tryouts, but here's where I suppose it departs very quickly from a European system. Your academies at the lower level, we call those pre-academies. And those team and everybody makes a quote unquote pre academy team, but those teams then are uh, the kids are divided into teams normally by how their skill level. So you get gold team, silver team, platinum team, whatever. Once they get U twelve, U thirteen, they can um, make an academy level team or travel team, but even that they have all of these different teams with with the top team. If the, pro, if the club offers an academy program, the top team being the academy team, and then they normally have another team right below, and, they're fight, and those kids are fighting to be both either an academy or one level below, and those kids typically have college or pro aspirations. Where we different, differ is in programs similar to the ones in my area, even those top team kids, their parents pay. There are exceptions, and one big exception is many MLS clubs, you don't pay to be on that top team. There are also some exceptions where you are recruited and then you're part of a, um, in, the, in the city, sorry, the club brings you in in a boarding situation, they wouldn't pay. But in general, even at those top levels, you pay. And another thing that I perceive to be different is Let's say Barisha Dortmund. There, Barisha Dortmund. This is my hypothesis, and you correct me. They won't have ten teams at U14. They won't have twenty teams. Yeah. It's the pool of players, and that's what you got. And everybody else is either you're in that it, playing with Barisha Dortmund or not. Where here, because of the pay-to-play system, NCFC, our local professional, they're not MLS, but they're a level below MLS, has. 30, 40 teams, and no judgment because they're using that to supplement the, or at least finance their program. And again, what is not talked about is that money is also used to provide training to kids who may otherwise not receive that level of attention based solely on their skill or motivation. Now, the flip side is obviously there's kids who have the skill and motivation who won't get that level of training. So it's a big pros and cons. Okay, so that is the travel. You have school. So your, your child, once they get middle school, they can't do it before middle school here, which is about 11 or 12, they have, you can play in your school team. But when you play your school team, uh, most academies don't allow you to play both. So to give you an example, that top, top team won't allow you to play um, high school soccer. That second team, though, does. So that, and, and this is in general. Some clubs will have different rules, but that's pretty much uh, how it works. 
and I can kind of understand it a little bit. You may not want a kid who's uh, playing, you know, training four days a week with their academy, playing in a high school league, scoring five goals a game. You know, it might be a little, little unfair. Um, but, but their argument is, you know, they have a development program specifically for these children, and they don't want the high school curriculum to, in high school training, to interfere with that. And that's actually a relatively new development. So finally, the other entry point for your child is they can play futsal. There are other clubs that are serious in terms of development, but they're not part of the mainstream U.S. soccer system. So you and I, Tony, we could decide we're going to form a football club and we could be serious. We could be the best coaches in North Carolina. And we get our insurance and we, we recruit our kids and, we're, and we have a team. Well, in the eyes of, of, of U.S. soccer, we're just a recreational team, right? We can play in tournaments and we can play against other academy teams in tournaments, but we're still considered a recreational team on paper. There are clubs like that here in, the, uh, in, the, in, in Cary. So then the question becomes, well, what, how do you get to be recognized by U.S. soccer? Well, there are two big governing bodies. There's U.S. soccer, which would be the equivalent of your FA. And then there's more of a nonprofit independent organization that's gotten a lot of traction over the last couple of years called U.S. club. And the best way to think of them is just governing bodies. They issue the player cards, which make sure everybody is legal, insured, not playing on more than one team and all that kind of stuff. And they offer professional development for the coaches. They're just a governing body, right? They offer tournaments, national, regional tournaments. You can win cups within those. FA, uh, U.S. soccer obviously is one pathway to be noticed for the national team. But that's their, their role is to, you know, literally govern soccer in the country. So the reason you have U.S. club, though, is because there are restrictions on which clubs can become a member of U.S. soccer. And that's actually pretty weird as well. So the way it works here in Cary is you and I, we just had this conversation. We created a club. We're doing very well. We're like, listen, we want to compete against NCFC in the same league as them. And MCSC might say, no problem, but you got to become a member of U.S. club soccer. You're like, okay, no problem, but here's the catch. The clubs that are members of U.S. US soccer in your area have to approve your application in order to become uh, a member of U.S. club soccer. How often do you think that happens in a pay-to-play system? Never. Probably not, yeah. So that's why you have U.S. Club, because U.S. Club says, you know, we're a national. We're not regional like this. As long as you meet these basic criteria, you can become an official member of, of, of U.S. Club soccer, and you can now compete in leagues against other U.S. Club soccer teams. So there's a big push for that. All right. So that's the data dump. And I apologize. We probably went over, but, you know, I always tease people to say understanding youth soccer is probably easier than, I mean, harder than understanding military uh, ranking and customs <laughs> and organizational structure. I'm like, so, but now that we got that out of the way, I come to Germany. What are the basic soccer pathways available for my 10 or 11 year old son? And we'll start with that age first. 
Okay, so um, it, there's some similarities, but I think a, a lot of differences in, in kind of what you described. Um, I'll also say that there, there is a language barrier for me that goes along with living in Germany. Um, so I, I think I have a good understanding of the systems, but I don't have the entire um, background of what happens behind the scenes with clubs. Uh, I'm not a coach, uh, so I, I have the parents' perspective. Um, so from from my perspective, this is a, a more of a nationalized system. So it's um, it's only governed by um, the DFB, is what it's called here, the Deutsche Fußball uh, Bundesliga. So uh, that's the the one and only governing body. Uh, so every club feeds into that body, um, and there are different levels based on the age group of soccer. So um, at the age you're talking about, um, 10, 11, that would be U13, 11, 11 years old would be U13. And then you have under 11, because um, they, they group them into twos for um, the leagues here. Okay. So you have age groups, I'm sure similar to the States, um, and each age group kind of coincides with a a double grouping, U11, U9, U13 kind of kind of uh, setting. So every village here has a club. And so as you kind of talked about the promotion relegation system for the, the pro professional teams, every team here has a promotion relegation, even youth teams. So even starting at uh, the U11, you can go up and down that um, system. Uh, so, starting at the U11, which is uh, the E, they, they have letters associated with these groups, um, but that's actually the, the age here, and, and I heard an earlier podcast is from England, and I think this age group is the age group where they really target identifying talent here in Germany. Um, I think earlier than that age group is more developmental, and, and I don't know what, what that age group is, but that... 10 to 11 year old is where they really identify uh, players and then kind of start, I, I would say separating the very good players from maybe like you said, the recreational players. Um, and since there's clubs at every level, you know, your village club that you moved to. So when you move to Germany, you could be in a little town kind of in the middle of nowhere and they'll probably have a club. I mean, soccer is the only sport here. Um, so you can go to that club and they could just be a recreational club or they could be a very competitive uh, regional club that other kids come to from other uh, villages to play at. Uh, so it's really kind of just knowing the club you're, you're going to. Um, so for 10 and 11 year olds, if, if you're coming new to Germany and you want to get your 10 or 11 year old into a team, and this is what we did, we just went down to the local team and said, I have a son and he wants to play. Um, we didn't speak German. My kids didn't speak German, and they were very welcoming. They just said, "Come on in and and put them on the team." Uh, so it, I have again some familiarity with the U.S. system from uh, when we left, and it's not the same. A every team only has um, the age group associated with that year group, team-wise. There, there's no multiple teams. So if you have, let's just say, 20. 2008 then that's what you have and that's your team and you have to make the team that plays that weekend out of that 
group of kids. Uh, so um, I don't know what I know. I, I don't know how they structure the the games in the states, but here everything is structured based on the age group. So for you 11s, um, it is seven v seven. So no matter how many kids you have, only seven um, are going to play that that weekend. Um, and here it's year round. They don't they don't have kind of a one or two seasons. Uh, I'm again familiar with the states, and I know they have seasons. Here it's one season and it goes the whole year. In the winter time, they do shut it down, but it goes indoor and they have indoor tournaments for the same team. So you're on the same team and you're playing against the same villages. Um, so so let me so let me unpack a couple of things, and that's really, okay. really good insight. Okay. So you have the team that's in the village, and I understand that that's one team per age group. But what if your child is not hyper competitive, but they just want to play soccer? Is that wh where do they go if they can't make those in the top twenty kids? Um, we have those kids and teams, and they just train and don't play in the games. Um, I, I would say Germany is not like the states where everybody gets a trophy. Um, yeah. If you're good enough to play, you play. If you're not good enough to play, then then you don't play. And and we have they call them training games or friendly games. And, and maybe during the friendly games, they'll have more kids and more kids can play the ones that are less competitive. Um, or maybe they'll bring them on the, the game and they only play for two minutes or some, something like that. But. So, so to, so to unpack this, you have the village team and they're not going to turn you away. So they're going to accept right. you and you're, and you're going to be part of this training pool. And then they select, select the kids out of that training pool to play in the games. And that, and that entire club can be promoted or relegated based on their performance, just like how we perceive in the uh, adults leagues. Yes, okay. absolutely. So, um, man, that's interesting. But then there can be more than, and we use this term, I'm gonna use this term village loosely. So let's think of an American city. Could there be more than one team inside of the village? Not team, sorry, absolutely. a club. Yep, absolutely. And so Kaiserslautern is a good example. Kaiserslautern has 100,000 people here, and there are multiple clubs. Um, the best clubs have the best kids. Um, they have the best program, um, and that's usually the club that everybody gravitates towards if their kid is good or if their kid wants to be, you know, more competitive. Okay. And then if your kid is – sort of middle of the road or just wants to have fun, then you may look for a less competitive environment um, because you know then they may get more game time. They could, or they just want to be with their friends. I mean, they're, they all go to school together and they just kind of hang out and they go to training. So that, that kind of thing. And so when you signed your child up for, and what was the, what's the name of the club uh, in the early, the ones you mentioned, the one that you mentioned? Um, so right now, well, when we first got here, we lived in Bavaria, so we lived in a whole different part of Germany. Um, okay. And that was a uh, club was uh, FC Biden. Uh, so it was just named after the town. So it's just a, a club named after the town. Okay, so you go to FC Biden or where you're at now. How much are they asking you to pay? Roughly? So it's a yearly, yeah, it's a yearly fee. And I believe right now for my youngest son's team, it was 60 euro for the year. For the whole year um and, and i'm not even sure what that fee is for because I, I don't think it goes to much 
I don't, I don't know the, you know, like I said, what it goes to, because it doesn't go to the coaching. The coaches are not paid by this. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's not very expensive at all. Okay. So, um, and it probably listen to the guy from Manchester. It might go to some, you know, fees to secure fields and that kind of stuff. All right. So you're not really paying, you're paying a nominal amount just to, for a few uh, ancillary fees probably. So, all right. And I'm just getting my thoughts together. All right. So you go there, you give them your money. Now, is there, do they just accept you into the training pool and as part of the training pool, then they uh, put you into um, different teams or is there a quote unquote tryout like they are in the States? It, it depends on the, the competitive level of the club. Um, some clubs do have tryouts and some clubs will accept anybody. The ones that play at lesser leagues, they'll accept anybody, um, especially as they get a little older. As they get older, they lose, you know, boys lose interest in, in sports or they get up on their other interests and they stop playing. Um, so, yeah, they, they accept everybody for the most part. Okay, so then in terms of how these clubs are financed to the best of your ability, is it sponsored by the government? Yeah, I, I believe they do get some kind of, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, a, a fee or, or they get some kind of, but I think it's either through the government or the village itself that supplements the income of these clubs. But when, when I say club, um, it's not a whole lot more than just a field and maybe a concession stand slash dressing room. And that's, and maybe a restaurant inside that, that serves food. So it's, it's not, you know, it's not a kind of grandiose club. It's, it's more of just a local club that has a restaurant in it and also has soccer. Yeah. And I said government, I should have been more specific in terms of, the way I think about it, and you correct me, or you give me your insight, you can have sort of a national sports agency that says, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna to uh, dole out money to different areas for just national sport, and part of it is gonna go towards soccer, someone's gonna go towards athletics, someone's gonna go towards basketball, and then they give that money to the equivalent of the FA, and that FA then awards money to grassroots and professional clubs so that's that's one way that's one way some of these clubs get funded then there is the professional the fees a revenue share that comes from the professional uh club sort of industry all right we're going to get two percent of our revenue or three percent of the revenue is going to go to grassroots organizations is going to go to the fa and they again finance it and then obviously there is the municipality through taxes and local initiatives and uh, government grants and all that kind of stuff that probably fundraise it. But from a parent's perspective, I guess what I am saying here is in America, it is considered a selling point if you have a paid coach. The term volunteer coach has different connotations here than it does in Europe. I've talked to several coaches in Europe who say, yes, I'm a volunteer coach in Africa for that matter, but I'm volunteering because I'm studying getting my licenses. I got my first two badges or whatever, and I'm volunteering my time to get more experience so that I can eventually 
you know, go on to academy level football. So you're getting a professional coach for free. But I don't really understand or know is your coaches, are they considered, are they volunteering the way that we think about them, like mom and dad are coaching because the son plays, or are they volunteer because they're the beginning of their professional career, or are they getting paid a full-time salary, or are they getting paid part-time? To your understanding, what's going on? So from the majority of the teams we've been on, typically it is a volunteer, and there have been many parents who are coaches. I think the difference is here, soccer is the only sport, and there are teams past even, let's just say, um, our age, and there are old man teams where they still get together and play. And so many of these parents, even though they're volunteers, they've been playing the sport their whole lives, are still playing the sport now, and are licensed. And they do this because it's their town, it's their club, and, and they want to you know, progress their club themselves. They raise money through sponsorships. Um, they're still usually pretty involved in the club. Um, and they have rivalries. You know, the, each village has its own rivalry with another village and they want to beat that village. So there's, even though it's recreational, it, it still is competitive in that sense. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I spoke to uh, interview someone from Ghana. He said the same thing. They have sort of a regional, um, robberies going on so the coaches are motivated just by that alone and they actually push the training even harder so that they can be competitive against other towns which you know you can have a view on if that's healthy or not but the bottom line is that's the culture so all right i got that so now everything that you have just described so far would you consider that grassroots soccer or football i would consider that you know and i kind of prepped a little bit and I couldn't find the term grassroots and what that meant. Um, but I guess maybe the lowest level of soccer, that's what that means. Yes. Um, I would say here that is just soccer. Um, I, you know, I think the grassroots would be the local village. Um, and that's the start. That's where everybody normally starts unless you probably have some connection with a professional club, your your father played for that professional club and you have a connection to join their U9 team, U17. Uh, but for the most part, that's where everybody starts. So, so the last question, then we're gonna go to how it works in the academies. So let's say, you remember how I broke out recreational challenge and travel, okay? Mm -hmm. And if my son had been training, say, in travel soccer, and then I put him into a recreational environment, he would really stand out. Not because mm -hmm. he's the next thing says messy, but he's just been in an academy slash travel environment, practicing four days a week, whatever. And then you put him into a recreational environment, he's gonna really stand out. So what I can't picture is you have these clubs, and I get that they have pools and they're more competitive, and less competitive depending on the particular club. But what I can't picture is how do they divide the kids on teams if they do that so that the kids who are not as serious um, are on a team with like-minded other kids at their level? That part I just not, I can't understand. Yeah, I, I think I, I can understand what, 
where that thought is coming from. But I, I think the main difference with Europe and, and Germany specifically is soccer is the only sport. And when you pluck a kid from the States and put him here, even if he's travel, they're not going to, they're going to stand out maybe, but they're probably going to be at the level of almost the best kids in the, in the village teams. Because even the kids in the village teams, they've been playing soccer at school with their friends. They play it all the time. I mean, that's just the only sport. Um, and, you know, they're, they're just going to perform well. Honestly, that's what would happen in, in the beginning. And they'll get identified by their coach to say, yeah, they're, they're really good. And, you know, they, they potentially could go play at a higher club and maybe make a connection for the player. Um, and if they're younger, as I said earlier, at the age of 10 is when they, the national team would start identifying players, um, even American players. Okay. Players regardless. So I'm going to um, try to put this in a bow, and then we're going to pivot to what happens next. So if you're just tuning in, this is the Inside Scoop. This is a podcast sponsored by Anytime Soccer Training that uh, is dedicated to helping parents understand the soccer pathways available that would be available to their children if they lived in another city. I'm here talking to Tony who lives, who is a parent from the States, but lives in Germany. And Tony has a very interesting perspective and it's been a great show so far. We're getting a lot of information. And Tony, I created this show precisely for this conversation. We may only have two listeners, but I wanted to dig into the actual details on a visceral perspective, like literally what am I gonna see? And so I'm gonna even, I'm going to have to put this in a boat and say, from your understanding, there is no such thing as recreational, in-between and higher level, very regimented, very segmented like it is in the States. And if I came to the, village club and said actually my child only wants to practice well, as a family we only can commit to one day during the week and one day on the weekend and then another family says you know we actually want to do three days during the week and one game on the weekend and we want to be involved in all these tournaments what is that club going to say to them is the club going to say so in the states the club will say yeah well we have these programs we have one program that's one day a week we got one program that's three days a week, you, you, you know, you can look at information and decide what works for you and they have different costs. I go to the, your local club and say, hey, this is my budget and I only want to do one day a week or this is my budget and I want, to, I want three days a week of training and I wanted to be a licensed coach. Parents are not articulating it like that, but that's basically what they're saying through market systems. So what, what is that club in Germany going to respond when I, to that? Well, they're going to say, we practice Tuesdays and Thursdays, come out if you want to do one day a week, you know, but that's when we practice and, you know, that's our, our routine. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, I think if you want, if you're looking for as a parent to, you know, if you see something in your child and you want to develop that and you think twice a week isn't enough, then you have to seek more training or train them yourself on your own, the club and every club we've been at, at the you know, that age group level always practices twice a week. And most clubs practice twice a week, maybe a third day a week as they get older. Uh, the higher clubs train four times a week, maybe five times a week, um, but they don't train 
I think uh, every day, they usually would have a day where they did some other type of activity. Um, so I think when you go to a club, they tell you this is the schedule and, and that's what, what happens. Yeah, so it sounds like um, there aren't these market-based product development incentives. And again, no judgment to the American uh, clubs because in some respects, they're just responding to the demands of parents, but they're doing it in a way that is reasonable and logical within a pay-to-play system. But it sounds like that just doesn't happen in Germany, at least not anywhere near the extent that it happens in America. Now, so the next question becomes, all right, let's get the two-second version of everything you just said as the child starts getting older. So we talked about if your child wants to play competitive soccer in the state, there is a big transition between the U12, U13 period. Before that, you're really kind of like a pre-whatever pre they want to call it, pre-academy, pre-DA, you know, pre-whatever. Then 2, 12, 13, U12, U13, that's a, it's a step change. So as we do, do those clubs, your local clubs offer soccer pathways at every single age group uh, or does it, or, or are there some clubs that say we cut off at this point or how does that work? Well, so I guess when you say pathway, I'm understanding to me potentially a pathway to professional soccer. Is that what the pathway you're you're thinking? Well, that and I should that is one way, but I should have just said it. The local club, I didn't phrase it properly. The local club just offers do do your local clubs offer uh, programming for kids at every age from U six, let's just say, all the way to U seventeen before they graduate the equivalent of high of our high school. So you can stay with that same club and just play throughout that same yeah yeah okay yeah yeah and, so and they, they actually play again all the way up until they're old men i mean there's a you know guys in their 50s and 60s play still with the same village and play against other villages oh that makes sense okay so you're you're part of that club almost like it was you know what this kind i live in london a long time and it's sort of hard to explain to someone uh, in the States uh, if they've never been pub, pub, P-U-P, pub culture. It's mm -hmm. like, this is our local pub and this is, yeah. I mean, it's almost like an institution. Right, right. I don't it, know it, how it, they make any money because there's always like two or three people in there, but that's our local. So it's kind of like yeah, that, same, that same kind of culture. Okay, yeah. so I got that. Now, your kid, my kid comes, He's nine or 10. He is lights out. Mm. He is Messi, Ronaldo, Pulisic combined. What does he, does he still need to go to and sign up for the local club with the hope of getting scouted? Or is Borussia Dortmund, do they have quote unquote open trials? Is there a camp? Or is there any ID system? How does that is his the first steps are they the same as any other kid yeah so okay so let me i'll put this from my perspective when we arrived so um i have two boys one arrived at nine and the other one arrived at six so they both entered the system at different age groups and we learned as um, we stayed here longer 
and I think our youngest benefited the most from it. Um, so again, with village teams, these kids are playing soccer at the age of three and, and they've already started getting into the club soccer. So they've already been a part of the club and they're under, under five, under seven teams that are just kind of, they call them bambinis here and they play. Uh, so the clubs already know them. If, and I think, you know, usually they're from parents who played on the team who have, you know, their grandfather played for the team or some, some sort of, you know, connection. And so I guess when I'm thinking scouting, most of these kids are known kids, German kids growing up in this system. And the coaches uh, from all these different villages, they see these kids because they, they play against them twice a year. Um, so they can see them develop as they get older. So when we got here, our son had played, I think, a combination of rec and maybe close to travel soccer, uh, as close to travel soccer as there was at that time at the age of eight, nine. Um, and so I would say he was probably right in the middle of the road with most of the German kids. Uh, he wasn't, you know, I think below and he wasn't lights out as you, you described. Um, and so he just went along kind of like the path of that age group, you know, playing with in a game. Um, my youngest, who was here since he was six, um, developed a little faster. He has an older brother who plays, and so he developed a little more. Um, and so as he went through that age group, he was identified. Um, the DFB here has uh, something they call Stuttpunt, which is a um, talent identification center, and they're all over Germany for each, I would maybe say county, maybe county, maybe region. So coaches see a kid who is really good or they've known a kid who is really good. And at the age of uh, 10 or nine turning 10, they send them to um, this Stuttpunt to get identified and they get scouted, so to speak, to make the Stuttpunt team. It's a team that it's almost the equivalent kind of of an, I would say an all-star team but it's not an all-star team. It's more of a, like I said, a, a training center. So uh, my youngest son was um, identified. He went to this tryout um, and he was selected. Um, and so he's been in a year now um, up, up to this time. Uh, coronavirus has really kind of, you know, I, I would say stalled a lot of things um, across the world and here as, as, as well with uh, soccer. Um, but so what that program is, is that is an actual identification center um, process, both for the professional clubs and for the German uh, system. So those kids still are on their club team. Uh, my son still goes to his club team. However, they have a once a week practice for those kids with actual um, German national team trainers that are licensed from the DFB and train uh, each age group. Uh, so they still are in age groups um, and they just progress per year. Uh, and I think they go up to the U15 to U17 age group. And I think it cuts off at about that time. Wow, that's some amazing insight. So, so let's unpack this. First of all, congratulations. So the anytime soccer product is something to help parents train their kids at home. 
right? This is what we've been talking about. This is what the pro product is about. Well, why am I bringing that up? Because one thing uh, I always want to ask parents who had, whose child has experienced any level of success in soccer, depending on how you loosely define, is what did they do at home? So your six-year-old, like literally, did you work with your child at home or was all of his soccer contact, free play in club, school and that kind of stuff? Or did you say, hey, Monday and Tuesday, we're gonna be on the pitch and we're gonna do these drills. How did you, how did, you know, literally what happened? Yeah, so I would say it's a combination of all that. Um, uh, being from the States, um, you know, soccer wasn't my first sport, um, but my in-laws are from South America and that is their true sport. Um, and so we've started them in soccer the, I think the entire time and since they were three. Um, I think my youngest son, again, he was um, a benefactor of having an older brother who was in competitive sports and con con uh, competitive soccer. And he's always wanted to be better than him or, you know, competed with him. And so he's, you know, kind of always been athletic and, you know, worked hard at it. Um, I did some training with them, um, but I, I would admit that it's difficult um, coming up with what to train them on, especially as just a parent um, and the time that I would have, you know, being in the military, sometimes my schedule doesn't always, you know, have the time to train uh, as you're saying. So, we did supplement training from the club with, uh, there are private trainers. There's actually um, a school. So each professional team usually has a football school that they, it's called a foosball shoe. Um, and here we have um, FC Kaiserslautern and they're a big, pretty big club. They're right now playing in the third league of Bundesliga. Um, but I, I think three years ago, they were playing in the first league in Bundesliga and they're very, very well-known historic club they're just a little down due to finances right now but they have a an actual uh school uh, and you can pay i i don't remember how much it was a few hundred maybe it's 150 120 euros for a certain amount of sessions over yeah a certain amount of sessions over a period of time that you go to once a week so we we did that um there's also another local private uh training center here. Uh, we did that on and off uh, once a week. Uh, so a combination of all those things. Um, and, and I think we did those things because, again, we just kind of went along with our kids and what they wanted. And they were both wanted to be competitive and both wanted to play because the other thing is, like I said, if you're not good, you're not going to play, um, regardless of the club. Even if it's a grassroots club, you have to be, you have to you have to be able to play the game to play on the weekends. Um, and, it, and it's more than just, you know, being able to kick the ball. You know, you, you have to know how to play the game of football, even at nine, 10 years old. Um, and there's goalies and, you know, it's, it's competitive. It, even the rec version of German soccer, it's not rec, it's, it's still competitive. Um, you know, you, you're still competing to win the best players still play. Um, so we've kind of just pushed them as much as they've wanted to be pushed. Okay. So, man, I can't wait to my, I have a 10 year old now and one of he's in, he's in the States and 
obviously I'm the founder of a training program. So I work with him and he's really technical. And he always says, dad, you know, based on the interviews with this podcast, I would love to meet other kids like me. And I'm like, well, keep doing what you're doing. They out there. So, so that's very, very, very good information. Okay. So in the States, we have these clinics as well. Again, a lot of it is market driven. No judgment. My sons actually go to one as well because clinics, as I'm describing them, coaching schools as they are in Germany are great ways for the kids to get specific technical training, at least from our perspective, outside of a team environment. So I supplement my um, boys training with a clinic in uh, the same, same setup. Because that's a question I typically ask the guest is, if, you have, if your child hasn't been scouted and inside of a professional academy system, or they don't make that regional um, ID program that you mentioned, but you want them to get um, extra training, what opportunities are there? So it sounds like you can pay for clinics, they're diff the equivalent of clinics, they're soccer schools, but where it is different is these soccer schools that you're mentioning are run by professional clubs who have a tradition of developing players, and that's a bit uh, unique. All right, so, all right, got it. Now, again, your child is lights out. They're gonna get picked up by the regional team, and I hate to say regional team, but our equivalent of a junior ODP team. Mm -hmm. And how does Barisha Dortmund find them? So, again, I think um, they are just like any other club. They have U9s, U7s, um, you know, every single age bracket they have. So they start them at U7. Um, and I assume they have tryouts at that level, or if they have players who have children, or if they have former players who have children, those children get, you know, kind of into the system starting at that age. Um, and then after that, as they get um, older and the field gets bigger and more players are required, they do scout. Um, so even a village team can play against a Bundesliga youth team uh, because there are caps based on the age group um, as how high the leagues go. Um, so for U11, uh, the highest they go, I think, is the equivalent of about four leagues. Uh, which the lowest league is the rec league. And then the highest league is where all the, including Bundesliga teams, FC uh, Mines here locally or um, Frankfurt, any of those teams, they would have the same, you know, team in that same league. And um, I think at that point is when, if there are players who are doing extremely well, even in their league, they already have um, some identification system. Um, and then I, I think they also identify out of that Stuttgart, um group, uh, I believe it's 100 kilometers uh, around that club where they can either, you know, recruit from or have ties to, uh, to know which kids, you know, could be good enough and make it. Okay, so yeah, so you bring up something very important and Germany is massive that I didn't think about. So we have the league structures which are similar to EPL, Bundesliga, uh, 
I know EPL a little bit better. Championship, first division, second division, that kind of stuff. And you get pro rail there. But that that those leagues have to be relatively regional. So the regional Bundesliga team, league, sorry, league team will also compete with the other grassroots teams that make that quote unquote division or that level. That makes sense. And then that creates a logical way for that professional club and other professional clubs to scout youth players. That makes sense. Right. Yeah, because exactly. it's a national, again, it's a nationalized system. It's not nationalized a system. Yeah, it's not. And I know your perspective, so it's not like that U.S. perspective. Well, you know, yeah, we, we're all over the place. So, I mean, hey, Durham is going to do it different than Cary, let alone national. Okay, so I got that part. Now, is it how strict is the pro, pro real uh, relegation and promotion? Because in, the, in London, to my knowledge, and, I, and my London listeners can correct me, they, it's my understanding they have that category one, category two, that kind of stuff, but it's not based solely on win losses. So you have to win and do very well as a youth organization. And then you submit an application that says, hey, this is how we've been doing. This is what we're, how we're developing. And we would like to be invited into this upper league. And then I think at the same time, if, if your club is audited, you're losing all time and they perceive you're not doing this, you don't have these resources, you can be moved down to a lower league, but it's not based solely on points. Um, to your knowledge, how does the moving up and down within the youth leagues, uh, how strict is it? How does it work exactly? Well, it's, I, I think it's an available option for the club to go up if they win the, the league uh, based on the points. Um, there are some rules. So um, for an age group or, excuse me, uh, you know, a category of, let's say, U11, there's two teams because there's two age groups there. So there would be the 2007s and the 2008s, let's say. So that's a one and a two team. And it's not one and two isn't based always on skill level it's based on the the age group so if the one team the 2007 team is an, a phenomenal team easily wins their league and they are qualified to go up the next uh, to the next um, league or the next level they don't play that next level the team that comes behind them plays at that next level and so there's no guarantee the team behind them is good enough to compete at that level. So sometimes the clubs do have the option to not go up if they, if they feel that their kids aren't going to be good enough to compete at that next level, or they still go up, I guess, let it happen, whatever. If they're good enough, they're good enough. If not, they're not. Um, we, we were on a team that did win the league, um, but a lot of the kids, were of the older age group and went on to the next year and that club did not want to play at the higher league. Uh, they didn't have enough kids first off, so they had to combine with another village to get enough kids. Uh, so they decided not to move up. Um, there's also the scenario where if um, you have two teams, they're all in the same league, or excuse me, they're all in the same system, 
um, your first team is playing at the highest, let's say, league, and your second team is playing at the second highest league, and let's say you're Borussia Dortmund, because that's what they, how they kind of fall into this category. They're, you know, the top of their group in both age groups. I mean, so their 2007s and 2008s will win their leagues, typically. But you can't have two teams playing in the same league. So that second team will just remain at that next league. Um, not sure if the second place team goes up or not, um, but that first team doesn't because their first team is, the second team isn't able to go up because their first team is playing at that league. Okay, so that makes sense. All right, so I think that's most of the questions. I'm gonna throw a few rapid fire questions at you. I like to find out the, the, the difference between coaching levels at the academy level versus your quote unquote grassroots. So from your perspective, let's start with the um, regional scouting program that your son was accepted to. How would you compare the coaching there? Because that could be a good proxy for academy level coaching to the training that your child would, team training that your child would receive at, the, um, at their local club. I would say uh, better organized, um, different type drills and, and uh, a higher level of training. Um, I think what also plays into that is that center is filled with kids who are playing at a high level and who want to play at a high level. And so it brings the training up even higher. The training at the club level, it's really dependent on your coach. It's just I mean, just like in the States. I mean, if you have a really good coach who takes the time and effort to come up with a training plan, you're going to have good training. Um, if not, then you might not have as good training. Yeah. And that sounds like um, once we start demystifying the, even the academy systems at the younger ages, I mean, when you start getting into the older ages of an academy, hopefully uh, the coaching is pretty consistent, but those younger ages, even at the academy, it's, a lot of it's going to depend on, you know, the coach and their, and their style and, and their professionalism. So I get that. Okay. So there is, there is a difference, but a lot of that's driven by the children that are there, right? And then obviously these coaches are part of a, that scouting apparatus and that national apparatus. So they're probably being developed even more. Okay. We talked about individual training and support, but one thing you've you've mentioned quite often, I always ask folks from, that live in different countries about um, their view on quote unquote early specialization. This is a hot topic issue in the States and you're American, so you obviously know that we have three to four major sports, basketball, foot, American football, uh, um, baseball, and it's not uncommon for a superior athlete, even after you can even throw athletics in there, to play one or two of these sports competitively. Now, I'll use my child's example. I was pretty intentional, and again, they lived in London. I was pretty intentional about steering them towards soccer because I wanted them to have a sport that was no, no hardcore contact, like football, and if they ran all the time, right? But we're in America, so my oldest one, he, he really enjoys playing flag football. I signed him up for rec basketball. But he, he still trains with me um, in the quote-unquote off-season because I actually, again, feel like, you know, low, low uh, impact 
ball mastery is probably not going to be that big of an issue. The, the issue that many American parents face, I believe, is when you sign your kid up for these multiple leagues, multiple teams, and they're playing 60, 70 games a year. I mean, the NBA would be like, NBA might go on strike. They're playing all of these games, and that then starts to increase the risk of a lot of these uh, specialization injuries and demotivates the child because then the game becomes almost like a job. The only asterisk I will put, and I'm going to bring on, I want to bring a doctor on to talk about this. The only asterisk I'll put by even my own um, opinion is the uh, repetition issues with repetition when you're training in sort of a structured environment instead of the free play environments that you're, you're speaking about. But again, I'm just, I'm just throwing out how I feel about it, that we are in a unique situation where my hypothesis is even when I lived in London, I don't, don't really remember the kids spending a lot of time playing other sports. They were there. They were part of the school curriculum. Athletics and cycling were big. Rugby, rugby was okay, but nothing, nothing compared even remotely close to soccer. And my wife happens to be African. Now she's Ethiopian, so soccer is not as big as, uh, as other African countries. But still, the whole concept of playing a lot of different sports, that would be foreign to them. So that's how I feel about it. And I just want to get your impression, your, your, your opinion on early sports specialization, how you as a family have thought about this, what activities maybe you've tried to put your children in the counterbalance, sort of the heavy, heavy amount of soccer they're playing. Yeah, just... Just take it away. Yeah, yeah, and, and I've seen some of those conversations online about multiple sport athletes to build athleticism, and I think that makes logical sense. Early on, especially before we came here to, to Germany, they did play other sports, and even here, occasionally, we would put them in recreational sports. Um, I think the challenge here in Europe is they play year-round. Um, the season is year-round season, and in winter it goes indoor, and they play indoor tournaments. Um, not necessarily a, a tiny winter league, but just a tournament style. Um, I think the difference in terms of specialization here, it's more of a culture. It's not. Um, it's not intentional. You know, I know in the states with so many different sports available um, to compete in, you have more options uh, here, especially in the local uh, economy. There are other sports, but it's not the same. Um, there's not as many options to do other sports. Um, so I would say here, it's, it's more difficult to do other sports because of the year round schedule and it's less available. Um, and so we've, we've had no choice sometimes because everything will end up conflicting with the soccer training or, or games. Yeah, welcome to the club. So, all right, so two more things. And then, uh, hey, thank you. This has been a great interview. So the first thing is, if your child, and you may or may not know this, so you just tell me, is accepted into a professional academy at the younger ages, are they still allowed to play with their local um, club? No, no, no. You So... Um... To switch clubs, even if you want to switch uh, village clubs, there's only two uh, windows to do that in the summertime and in the wintertime. 
Um, and if you want to switch a club, there's an actual application process to switch your card from one club to the next club. Um, so you, you would leave your local village club to go play for Borussia Dortmund or whatever team, regardless of the size, um, if that was your option. Okay. And then um, being American, I know you haven't lived in the States in a while, but you've seen enough on the uh, internet and social media, media sphere to know that parent behavior on the sidelines is becoming an increasing problem in youth sports. How would you, in an unofficial way, compare your perception, at least, of what you see as a typical American parent sideline behavior in youth soccer? And we can, we, we'll use stereotypes, you know, the one that's coaching on the sideline, you know, the dad is pushing the goalie in front of the kid, <laughs> I mean, the kid in front of the goal, the ball. So just that, that sort of stereotypical culture, which is actually very real, you know, it's very real. Every game you go to in America, there will be parents. Unfortunately, coaching on at a minimum giving instruction, at a maximum yelling. So how would you compare that culture to what you would typically see in Germany? It's probably a 180. Um, really? That is, that is, I would say it has happened, but I, I have seen it more happen with parents um, getting into it with a referee. Um, or sometimes coaches getting into it because, um, especially at the older ages, it, it gets to be a little more dangerous if kids, you know, know what they're doing because they've been playing for so long and they either purposely kick a kid or, you know, I've seen that, but the, the parent coaching their kid does not happen for the most part here. And if it does happen, it's, it's kind of like, uh, very uncouth it's it's you know it's just doesn't happen you know we're all I'll tell you because I sit alongside all the Germans and we're all very you know biting our tongue and we want to say stuff but it, it just doesn't it's just not the culture here you know the coach is the coach and he coaches the players know what they're supposed to do and you know occasionally it'll slip you know you occasionally hear one or two you know, parents say something, uh, sometimes it's German, I don't understand it, but uh, it, I've seen, you know, the viral videos and it is not like that for the most part here. Yeah, you know, we supersize everything anyways. So, all right, so we're gonna wrap it up with one more question. Where are you guys at in terms of COVID uh, and participation? And where you see, and let's just for our listeners, even though they have the date, it's June 26, 27, 2020. So where are you guys at in terms of COVID and uh, what do you see moving forward? So with COVID, we, we as, a, as a country, it has opened up significantly. Um, you know, there are, most stores are open, most things are open for soccer. They have started training, um, but it's, we've already reached the summer end so there is a break when teams move up and we start kind of reshuffling the teams so there's going to be a, a natural one month six week break yeah um, the, the season was suspended and ended back in in March and was canceled so um, I from what I heard teams that had won their league moved up but nobody moved down and the next year I think they're going to do something where more teams move down to kind of right size all the leagues 
Um, but we're we're hoping that next season starts as normal. But I guess we'll see. All right. So we'll end on that note. Let's hope together. So this is the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm the co-founder of Anytime Soccer Training. You can get over 50 free ball mastery and juggling videos at www.anytime-soccer.com. I've been speaking. I had a wonderful conversation. I even interviewed a wonderful conversation with Tony Rocha about youth soccer pathways in Germany, juxtaposing those to ours in the States. I hope you enjoyed this show. I'll list, um, we'll, we'll post this on Facebook and we'll continue the conversation on Facebook if you have any more questions and I'll tag you, Tony. So Tony, thank you. Thank you for a wonderful show. And like I said, when your son makes the German national team, please save Uncle Neil some box seat tickets. I will fly well, out there. I, I wanna thank you for the opportunity to talk. Uh, and, and I do have to say that this is a, a, a team of parents as well. So my wife has done more of this than I have uh, in terms of communication with clubs and, and doing all of this. So, you know, it does take a, a inside team, uh, you know, to help our kids develop. Um, but thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about uh, soccer and this discussion, because it was also informative for me on, on the American side. So well, uh, thank you. I, I tell you like this, man, I created this podcast to find other crazy parents like myself. I would not bore my friends with this conversation about you, soccer. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, hey, you got to do what you got to do. We want to empower parents to help their children. Um, and thank you, Tony. And let's stay in touch. This has been an Inside Scoop. This is Neil Crawford. Thank you so much for a wonderful show. Hey guys, this is Neil Crawford again. This is a PS. So Tony and I were having an offline conversation and I was like, stop what you're doing. We need to record this. Again, so Tony has a military background, so he has a unique perspective because not only is he seeing his child from the States come to Germany, but he's seeing other military families with children of different ages playing in the German system. And we were just talking a little bit about his older son um, because his older son would have been older when he came to Germany and just sort of what that transition was like in terms of talent level. And to paraphrase where we landed was in the younger ages, and there are always gonna be exceptions to the rule, but the German talent and the US talent is comparable. And I'm using that in air quotes to say, German kids obviously free play, they're gonna have a much better sense of the game, which may manifest itself later. But in general, if your child plays the equivalent of travel soccer, they'll get there and they'll more than likely, you know, we always talk about that 20% rule. There'll be 20 per kid, 20% way better, 20% way below, and then everybody else is in between. But what we know from a U.S. national perspective is something happens between that 14, 15, and 16, maybe 13, 14, 15, where the divide really starts to show itself. And I don't know, and we're just two parents having a conversation. I don't know if it's because there's something happening at the foundational level that we're not seeing, or if there's something that happens at those critical teenage years through the professional club influence. So the last thing on this, Tony, is just want to get your opinion on what you're seeing there in terms of why is there a step change in development 
that we begin to notice as the kids get a little older. Yeah, yeah, and, and like you said, at the younger ages, it's comparable, and every year that they get older, you really see the difference. Even here with German kids, you can see the kids that really stand out, and if you plucked a, a kid who was playing even at a really high competitive level German club team and put him into one of the lower leagues, it would be like night and day um, at, let's just say, 13, 14, 15, um, and, and I do think it is that they continue to develop and continue to touch the ball year round and the training here is you know especially at the really competitive level is really good um, and so they they continue to develop and so I have seen also older kids come from the states and that's when you really see you see a kid who's maybe wreck or you know I don't know what the competitive level you can really see it then and, and we've had a couple of of uh, kids that are competitive in the States come over and, and actually do well. So if you're in a competitive academy in the States, let's say a DA program in the States, you're probably going to do okay here, um, even at the higher levels. Um, but there is something, you know, that, that touches on the ball and, and how they control the ball, how they understand the game. I think it, at that age, 14, 15, 16, they're already starting to become professional um, at that age, at the, you know, 16-year-old age. So, you know, unless the U.S. totally changes the soccer system, I don't think we'll ever be as good as them um, because of, I think, that age group. Um, and, and there's no incentive right now for MLS clubs to get better um, or develop youth, honestly, because they, they stay at the top level. Um, whereas here, you, you have to continue to get better. You have to continue to develop your team and, and even in some cases sell players to get more money. And it's, it's, it's a, you know, a system difference. Um, so until that happens, I, I doubt that the U.S. could ever come close unless we had a whole crop of kids that played here in Europe. Um, and came back to the U.S. Yeah, I think that's going to be our best hope. I heard David Beckham's sons were born in the uh, in the states, and a few other English <laughs> English guys. Uh, I think Rain Rooney's sons they weren't born in, but they probably can get citizenship. I think that's going to be our best hope. Hey, Tony, thanks again. That was the P.S. from the Inside Scoop. I just wanted to get that to our listeners as well. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. Enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, good luck in Germany. Thank you. All right.